Genesis 20. We're going to look at chapters 20 and 21 today, quite a long uh, passage um, together, but we're going to be doing that together as we start. Just a reminder, if you haven't been in our study with us in Genesis, we have been traveling through Genesis for some time now, and as we do, we understand that we, when we started, we started with God creating a world. The world was very good. I mean, the, the Lord says that of His world. He created man and in His image, and it was such a wonderful time to understand like the greatness and glory of God and His goodness for His world. And Adam and Eve experienced the joy of being in relationship with God, the joy of being in relationship with one another, the joy of serving in God's created world, and then sin came. And Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They turned away from Him, and they decided that they would rather be in charge than the Lord being in charge. And when they chose to do that, the whole human race was plunged into sin. And we are left there thinking, what in the world is going to take place? And so there's all of these chapters in Genesis from chapter 4 onward that reveal to us that if man is left to himself, there is no hope. I mean, absolutely zero hope. He could not save himself. In fact, he is born a rebel against God and he is running his own way and he wants to be the captain of his ship and he will abandon every aspect of what it means to serve God. I mean, it's just over and over you're going, oh my word, this is more horrific than we ever imagined. And then in Genesis 12, God makes a promise to a man. A man who was out there living his own way, walking his own way among all the pagans of the world, and God called him. And God said to this man, Abram, He says to him, I am going to bless you. And I'm going to give you descendants as the stars of the sky. And I am going to give you a land. And that land will be for those descendants. And you will dwell in that land. And it is an amazing place to be. And he says, I'm going to bless those who bless you. And those who curse you, I will curse. And he says, in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, The problem is, is over and over we're struggling with, Lord, is this going to happen? Abraham gets this at 75 years old, and there's a 25-year period where you're wondering, and we've been doing that as we're moving through Genesis, will this ever come to pass? And so this morning we're going to see a lot of things unpack in this story, again looking at chapter 20 and chapter 21. So I think it's important just to note this. When we look at chapter 20, This is not the first time we've seen this. Abraham, on a couple of occasions, we see him and you think, is Abraham going to mess this whole thing up because of fear? And that's what we see in chapter 20. There's this element where before, in chapter 12, he is before Pharaoh, and when he's in before Pharaoh, he tells his wife, this is what I want you to do. When we get into the land of Egypt, I want you to say that you are my sister, and we'll try to make sure everything goes good for us. Because if I say you're my wife, and they want you as my wife, they'll kill me, take all of our stuff, and then they'll take you, and all these things are going to happen. So... He goes there, he ends up uh, telling this story, and Pharaoh is still, he's thinking that this is his sister, we'll just take her into my family, and I'll have her as my wife, and all this stuff, great catastrophe comes. Ultimately, God rescues him. And he rescues him in a mighty way, and the most powerful man in the world is then giving possessions to Abraham and saying, would you please go on your way? Like God has rescued him in a very powerful way. So the question then this morning is, 
is how could Abraham, after 25 years of watching God rescue him over and over and over, why would he, after he had seen him defeat this, this giant of a king, why is he wimping out right now? Like that, That's just a crazy thing to say. Now, here's the thing. When we think about it, did you know that you're... <laughs> that in our lives, past victory does not ensure present victory. Did you know that? Sometimes like past sins, and sins maybe we've been successful in defeating, don't go away. It seems to me over and over you'll find yourself struggling with that. Another thing we learned in this passage, not only are we going to kind of learn that practical thing, that things do come, and sometimes the stuff that we have seen God deliver us from become a snare again. Now we know that, but also... We learn from this passage that the promise of salvation, if left up to man, will always fail. I mean, that's kind of the thing you kind of pull away from and you say, look, if it's left up to man, he's going to mess it up. Now, chapter 21, we move to that chapter and we say, well, what's it about? And I think it's important just to kind of, as you're thinking about this, God has been promising him a son over and over. He's going to bless him and he's going to make his name great. He's going to have a great nation. And Abraham's never had a son between him and his wife. And and all of the things that have gone on along that process, but the Lord does answer Abraham's prayer, and He does answer the promise, will He give him a child? And He does, and we see that here. And it's a very powerful picture indeed. There's no question. So here's the thing, and I think it's just important that we understand that. As you're looking at that, we have to say, what is God's chief concern? Sometimes we want Him to be His chief concern to be our concern. But what is God's chief concern God's chief concern is his glory and God allowed him to wait all those years so that he might demonstrate his glorious purposes so that the whole world would say it's not because of Abraham it's not because just they ended up with a child they are really old Sarah could not have a child and God gave them a child it is all about him demonstrating his glorious purposes and accomplishing the promise no one will wonder who brought this about? Now listen to me. And I think it's a very powerful thing. The promise is all about salvation. And the way God does that often is when He, is, he saves someone, it is very clear to us that there was no other hope but God. And sometimes even in our own lives as we are awaiting things and we're struggling, we are trusting in what God says He's going to do. So I just think it's important as we see that. The Lord is the Lord of the promise. He has protected this child in chapter 20. He's done it countless times as we've studied. And He is going to bring about the promise and everyone will know that it's God and God alone who gets the glory. So let's pray together as we get started. Father, we just praise You that what You're doing in the world is not left up to us. Lord, we know that we are too weak, that we struggle with trusting You, that we fail to see what You're doing even when You're right in front of our eyes moving in mighty ways. Lord, I pray as a church, we would not be a church of unbelief, but a church that cherishes and, 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 and sees with spiritual eyes what You're doing among us. God, help us see that and let us understand that in whatever endeavor, but primarily even in the salvation of souls, You are the One who accomplishes that and You save people. And I pray today we would see that so clearly here and that we would rest again 
and Your providence and Your goodness to us. In Christ's name, Amen. So let's start in Genesis chapter 20 and verse 1. As you're looking at verse 1 and 2 again, you're asking the question, why, Abraham, are you doing this again? Why are you so crazy? If you were Sarah, you would wonder, like, am I supposed to do so? I mean, really? I mean, am I going to go down this road again with this guy? I mean, in my mind, at least, you would think, this is crazy. Why would he continue to do this? Over and over, we ask that question. And, and really, again, we're saying, Abraham's been here before. Why can't he move forward in faith and trust God? Now, what is Abraham afraid of? Why would he put the promise in jeopardy? Why would he do that? Why would he trade something more? What's more valuable to him than the promise? And I think that's important to ask. And we would say here, it's his personal safety. What is more valuable in his life than the promise in this moment? What is more uh, bigger in his eyes than the providence of God and God's bringing about the promise? The one he said, God Almighty, or the one God Most High, or the eternal God over and over. What has become so big in his eyes that there is no way that God is going to bring this about? He must go and fight for himself and he must look he must throw aside God's purposes so that he might have personal safety what is that and again that is at the heart of it he is acting in unbelief and he is trusting in his own ways now I would ask that question too how many times do we put God's work in jeopardy because we fear the loss of something how many times have you done that maybe it's for your own personal safety. I've told y'all before, I went on a mission trip one time and I was over in this part of the world and and I was in an area of the city and there was something very tense about that moment and all of a sudden I heard rocks being thrown and I have no idea whether it was like, I didn't know whether it was kids throwing something, picking at us or whatever. I was in a different country. I heard different voices around me and all of a sudden rocks are landing around me and I'm thinking, this is crazy. And I'm, I'm just, I remember this sheer terror of thinking I'm going to die in this moment. It may, I had just passed a place where this, this uh, car had been burned up and I, and I thought, good night, that's going to be me next, Right? Personal safety, in that moment I thought, am I prepared to to do what I'm doing here? I mean, that's kind of wild to think, would I do that? And I think he's facing that. The the person that's most important to us in our lives is the person that we get up in the morning, we look in the mirror, and we see that person, and we love and cherish, and we want good for that person in the mirror. Every single day. Not only that, I think sometimes we put God's work in jeopardy for personal ambition. Have you ever done that? Because you wanted what you wanted and you wanted to make sure that you made your name great in this present world and so your ambition took the place of God's work in this world. Just cherish what you can do for yourself, what you can make for yourself, what you can build for yourself and you will put your ambition at the place of God's work in the in the higher place above God's work sometimes we do that with personal ease and comfort sometimes we want our lives to be so comfortable sometimes we even do that in the church 
You want a church that is easy and comfortable. I want a church that's easy and comfortable. There's always that danger that ease and comfort is the road that I want to be on, especially when it comes to the church. And some churches stand around and go, how can we make it so easy and so comfortable that everybody just loves to be there? Because if we make it easy and comfortable, they'll really jump on board and whoo, wouldn't that be great? But God is working in Abraham's life. He's moving there. And what He is doing is He is helping him, making him begin to face those things in his life that maybe are bigger in his eyes than God. And He is helping him do that by in, in making him encounter again what had went on before. And listen to me, this was to seal in the eyes of Abraham that the only hope for God's work in this world was God. That's his only hope. And really, the only thing that you and I can do at Christ Community Church is lift up God. It is to trust God. It is to make much of God. It is to say God is to get the glory. Not man. Not how much we can invent up to make people love these things here, but to love God. We want God to be big in the eyes of others. We want Him to be big in our eyes so that we live a life of saying, I will risk whatever for the kingdom of God. Abraham was facing in this moment, the fear of loss of something. And you and I face those. And it may be in your business life, you face that. It may be in your home, longing for comfort, that you face that. It may be sometimes when you're called to do something here that is way outside of your little box of what it means to serve God, you face that. And God is saying to us, Don't fear those things. There are things that are so big in your eyes and God is small. And often that's what it is. When people in this world is big in your eyes and God is small, everything gets out of whack. And I think we see this in this moment. So I just think it's important to note this. Ultimately, morally and spiritually, it is clear that the promise will be fulfilled by God and God alone. How do we know that? Notice from verse 3 through 7, the Lord fights. You see what's happening here? The Lord fights for Abraham in this moment. In verses 3 through 7, the Lord pays Abimelech a visit. It's not a fun visit. He, look what he says to him. He says, Abimelech, you are a dead man. The creator of the universe spoke one sentence that sent that guy to a place of the greatest fear that he is willing to do anything for Abraham. You are a dead man. You have messed with my promise. You have messed with my salvation. You have messed with the man I have chosen. You are a dead man. And I think it's important that we understand that, again, whenever, whatever it is in your life, and I have them and you have them, whether it's personal ambition, personal success, personal safety, personal whatever, God is saying to you, those giants in your eyes, they are nothing. And with one sentence, I'll silence them. Because God is about the most important thing in His eyes is His own 
glory. And He made a promise and He will keep that promise. Now what is this all about? What happens is, God says, you have taken another man's wife. The idea of adultery is seen here. Hebrews 13.4 says, let the marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. And He is saying, listen, because of my justice and because you're messing with the wrong man, justice is coming to your house today. And what does Abimelech say? He said, I was unaware. I have no idea what was going on. I was unaware of what took place. And I was just kind of important to note this. Even if you're unaware of obedience, that, you're, that you've rejected obedience to God does not, not, not make you accountable to God. And I think it's important that we know that you say, oh, I didn't know God. Well, if you listen, whenever we break the law of God, there is a day when there will be judgment for what we've done. But not only that, he's, he's not the guy that he didn't really do that purposefully. But second thing that you see, he had not violated the marriage relationship in any way. And what the Scripture says, it, God reveals that He said, I kept you from sinning against Me. I kept you from doing that, Abimelech. I stopped you from doing something that would leave you condemned. I mean, we see even in that that God so often, and I just think about if you've ever thought about your own life and set for some time and you've wondered how many times has the Lord kept you from sinning? And this guy is not a believer in God. He's not walking with God. He is protecting him from doing something more foolish than he could have ever imagined. And I just think it's important, sometimes when I've tried to kick down the door to do something that would be disobedient to God, he's closed it and we see his grace to Abimelech in this moment. He has kept him from doing it. I also want to say one other thing too. Sometimes we think, and this is what I do, when I offend somebody, like if I offended you and I realized I offended you, I might take off and go find you because I don't want you to hate me, right? And I don't want to hurt your feelings and I don't want to do something that would like, like alter the relationship. And so man, I might chase you down. It's unbelievable amounts of things that I might do to try to make sure that we are not in a wrong relationship. Now here's the thing. He's saying, I kept you from sinning against me. Psalm 51, and it's something that just comes to my mind a lot, when, when, when David had sinned against Bathsheba and against her husband and against his country and against all these things, he said to the Lord, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David knew that it's not just what you do to people, that every time, you know, you meet somebody that says like, well, I, I really love God, I don't love people, I really love the church, but I don't really, really love the church, I want to get in there. They don't understand that, listen to me, the rejection of the people of God is a rejection of God. Whenever you sin against your husband or wife, it is not just them that you need to make things right with. You need to confess before God. And I think that's important just to note that you see in this text what is taking place. Now as you move forward in verses 8-10, through 10, now Abimelech has heard that you are a dead man, and then the Lord says, look, I'm, going to, I'm not going to hold this against you. I understand what's taking place here. And as he does this, in verses 8-10, through 10, Abimelech wakes up in the morning, he tells his servants, they're all afraid, and what he does is he goes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, what have I done? 
What have I done that would make you do this horrible thing to me? You see, Abraham has lost at some level some a witness to this man. He has just handed his wife to this guy and caused all kinds of trouble in this, in this land and with this king. And he's saying, what in the world have I done that would cause you to do something so horrible against me? And I think it's just important, again, sometimes when, when our personal safety or personal ambition or whatever, it, we say we're going to go ahead and sin because we don't trust God, it never was without casualties, right? It doesn't just affect you and me. How you live your life does not just affect you personally. It is affecting other people. Your indifference to the things of God, your indifference to the kingdom of God, your indifference to the ways of God, they're affecting everyone around you. They are affecting people sitting beside you right now. They are affecting your family. They are affecting the people across the world that if you were faithful to God might hear the Gospel. Your life affects others. And he's saying, what are you doing? Why is it this way? And I just think it's so important that we would repent of those times when we hurt other people because of our indifference about the ways and the will of God. You agree? Really? You really think that this is the way it is? that your life could be, be used for less glory than it might have been had you continued to walk faithfully, trusting the Lord, seeing Him as big in your eyes and trusting Him for the outcome. I think about the stories of David who went against Goliath with stones and a sling. Or you think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who went into the fiery furnace. These are stories we tell because we love to talk about God's rescue of these people in the midst of them taking a step forward and trusting Him when they could not see the outcome. What a powerful thing. Now, verses 11-13, through 13, I just think it's important you just note this. He, Abraham said, I did it because I thought there's no fear of God. I did it because you're bigger than God in my eyes. And because I think that you don't fear my little God, that's why I did this. Instead of seeing the greatness and grandeur of God, God silenced this man. Now, again, we're just saying, look, Abraham, listen, trust the Lord. And I struggle with that. I'm telling, like, speaking to myself, trust him. In verses 14 through 18, you notice Abraham ends up with all kinds of blessing, all kinds of amazing things. He just pours out upon him all of these blessings. And Abraham is blessed in so many ways. The Lord is revealing this. And it's, it's a powerful thing. God is always about preserving His promise. God is going to... When Jesus said, I will build My church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. God is going to do that. When the Lord said that He is going to save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, He will do that. And it is so clear to us that even in our failure, the Lord is faithful. Now, in chapter 21, we're going to see a partial fulfillment. And we're just going to move through this as we're going ahead here. Abraham's been waiting for years. Abraham is 100 years old. He's been waiting for 25 years. His wife is 90. And the Lord gives them a child. Now listen to me. 
How many of y'all love to be patient? How many of y'all are really patient, patient people? I mean, I, I am not patient. The Lord is growing me in that. He has been growing me in that for years, but I am really far from where I should be. I like results. I am an American. We love them. We love to be able to look at the bottom line and say, results, 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 results. What if you, listen to me, what if you were 20 years in like Abraham? What would that be like? Would you say, results? Look at all the results. What if you had died with Abraham and just had one child? Would you, oh, look at the results, God? Look at all these things. Listen to me. The reason God often limits us in the ability to receive all that we want in the moment is why? Because God wants us to learn to walk by sight. Is that what He wants? I want you to be able to see everything you ever wanted. Everything you ever dreamed of. No, He is growing us and teaching us to walk by faith. Why are our prayers not always immediately answered? Because I need to grow in faith. Why does God hinder me from seeing all that I would want to see in the city of Texarkana? Because He is growing me and He's growing us as a church in faith so that we'll know how to walk by faith. When we cannot see, we trust Him because He is true to His Word. God partially fulfills the promise by sending a son to Abraham after 25 years of waiting so that, listen, He is an example to us. He is an example of what it means to stumble along and seek to walk by faith when we cannot see. But not only that, and I just think it's important that we understand this because it's just very powerful. Abraham's son is not the fulfillment. He's not the fulfillment of the promise. He is one part of the puzzle. It's leading somewhere. Where's it going? We're waiting still. Abraham sees this son, but he is not the one. He is not the one in whom all the blessings of God are going to be revealed. That is going to come later. But in Matthew chapter 1, it's going to say he is the son of Abraham, the son of David. He is the fulfillment of the promise that God made. In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham really never saw. He worked without fully seeing. He partially sees it fulfilled in this moment, but he is still waiting. There is one who would come. The perfect one. He would live a perfect life and die on the cross for His people bringing ultimate salvation. But we are still in some ways waiting. We've seen the seed of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ, come, but we are still awaiting God to fully reveal all that He has for His people. And I just think it's important that we grow in our understanding of that. And we see it. Now, in verses 8 through 13, we're reminded that not everybody's really happy about the promise. Did y'all know that? Did you know that not everybody in our world is happy about the salvation that God has provided? Did you know that sometimes there are people who mock what God is doing in His world? 
Did you recognize that? That sometimes that there are those who walk around this world and they are looking for something, but they reject God's only hope in Christ? In some ways, I think you have to say there is something going on here. This young boy that was born, Ishmael, is a little bit older and he begins to mock what God is doing. I think it's important for you to note that he is mocking he is mocking the child that was born, the child of the promise. And you see why. You could understand why, but still, there is this mocking that takes place and Sarah sees it and she's like, get that woman and that child away from me. I do not want him here. And the Lord knows that Abraham is really nervous about this. He knows that he's had this child for 13 years and he doesn't want to see him sent away, but the Lord says, no, send him away. I have a plan for him. He's not the child of the promise. He is not what God is going to do in this world. He is not the one in whom His seed will be the salvation of the nations. He's not the one that Christ will come through, but the Lord says, I will bless him in this present world. So in 14-21, through Hagar is sent away with her son Ishmael and she goes out and she thinks, I'm about to die. And she sets her son over somewhere and she walks away. She says, I cannot watch my child die. I don't want to see that. We'll both die, but I just can't see it. And the Lord shows up to her and He speaks to her and He says, I will bless Him and I will make a great nation of Him. And I'm going to extend an enormous measure of grace in in, in, in in his life, in this present world, he will be blessed. And he blesses him. And he becomes an expert in some things. He ends up marrying. And we see that God is going to provide for him. As we move forward in verses 22-34, through we're just kind of kind of move through this passage. But as you're thinking about what's taking place, Abraham meets up with Abimelech again. Before when he met up with him, he wasn't quite, he was a disgrace to God in some ways. You think he didn't honor God with what he was doing. At this point, it seems that that Abimelech now recognizes, look, God is on your side. God is working in your life. God is doing things. And so he's saying, look, would you just make a relationship with me? Would you you make sure that I'm taken care of and, and we could be in a place where we're not enemies with one another and Abraham says yes and we even see an element there where he's saying look he's blessing him Abraham's life is blessing Abimelech and then we get even further that Abraham kind of questions something that goes on with Abimelech and this is what happens ultimately Abraham ends up with a piece of land within the promised land I think if you're studying this out you have to say look there is a partial fulfillment we see the son is born and we see this partial fulfillment in that we see that Abraham gets some land here and he blesses this person he is blessing the life of Abimelech so if you're studying this together and you're thinking okay 20 and 21 how do I put this together I would say first the sins of your past sometimes come back to haunt you the struggles that you had in the past the fears that you face often come back and become a present battle today we are never past that kind of struggle Oftentimes, we struggle with trusting God because we think of fear of our life, fear of our livelihood, fear of people, what they will think about us, and we hinder the work of God in this world by the way that we react to what God is doing with us, and we fear instead of trusting God. The Bible says that we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. How do we do that? 
By building ourselves upon the most holy faith, we study the Scripture and try to understand it. It says that we are to pray in the Holy Spirit. It means that we are to constantly beg God to empower what we are learning to help us understand it, to help us walk in truth. And we wait for the coming of our Savior. And this is what we do week after week. We come together to remind you of the truth about God. We are calling upon you to actively pray that God would make that true in your life. And we're saying, wait for Jesus return there is God does not leave us wondering is he going to do something in the end or is this all there is he treat calls us to see beyond the present and to trust him now listen you get a vision of that then when those things that seem like mountains in your eyes those things you fear God is allowing you in His Word and as we gather and as we spend time together to look beyond our present fears. And He gives us glimpses of His work in our lives. He did that this week where He says, look, I'm I'm working in this church. I'm doing something in your lives. I'm providing for you. I'm going to allow you to be on mission in Texarkana. And I'm going to keep extending your work here. And you can look beyond the things that you fear with faith. So that's the first thing I think we have to say is we have to identify where we fear and we have to see that God is greater than our fears. Secondly, I think it's important, God is faithful to His promise. God is faithful to His promise. He is not... Now listen, this is hard to understand. He loves us, but He loves His own glory. That's the chief end of us. So God is holding forth His promise and saying, I said I will do it, and because of my glory's sake, and because of who I am, I'm going to declare to the whole world that I am going to be faithful to what I said that I will do. He is always faithful to His promises. And Isaac was pointing to the greater one, to the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the Messiah. He gave His life so we might enter into life. And even if the whole world around us says they reject the Son, the Lord promises that one day He will save His people and the complete fulfillment of His promise will come to pass. Now does it ever seem like it's hard to wait? Man, I struggle with waiting. I struggle with waiting to see what God is going to do even in the church's life right now or in my life as I'm waiting for a baby. I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Think, Come on, Lord. You know We want to see some things in this life. We want to see the, the world to come. We're crying out for that. And not only that, along the way, I have all these battles where I'm struggling to trust the Lord in the midst of these things. And I'm, I'm impatient and so I'm worried and I'm fear and the Lord just keeps coming alongside of us and He reminds us to trust Him. He will bring it to pass. If you're here today and you've been trusting in yourself, and you are trusting in yourself to save you, there is no hope there. God is not slow about His promise. He will bring it to pass. He has allowed the day of judgment to to wait so that you might come today and repent, believe the Gospel, and trust in Him. If you're a believer here today, I just pray that you would be encouraged that God is going to fulfill what He's promised to us. That your heart would be on fire for the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God that we might make much of Him. 
And so I just encourage you. And if you just bow with me at this time. Father, we just thank You. We thank You, Lord, that we know that even in our fears and our failure, that You are faithful. Lord, we know that You are going to accomplish what You've promised to do. And we are just to wait to be faithful, to be steadfast in doing the work You've called us to. May we be found as servants who put our head to the plow and kept working until You return. In Christ's name, Amen.